You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is a broadcast interruption. We normally talk about movies here on The Average, but there's a TV show airing right now that captured my attention and I needed to talk about it. I wanted to get some stuff out, interact with you people out there who are listening. I have a guest joining me today. You want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, really, really excited. I'm uh, very, very um, excited about the new season of True Detective. I've watched all of the other seasons a few times over, so I have a bunch of um, ideas about what might be uh, coming up and whatnot. So I'm just really, really excited to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah, you actually – okay, so you're a bigger fan than I am because I've seen season one multiple times. I loved season one. It was amazing. Yeah, it's one of my favorite seasons of television, period. Um, It's up there with Dexter season four for me. Um, But seasons two and three, I could not get into. I I tried. I think I made it like three or four episodes in the season two, and I was done after episode one on season three. So maybe those are something I need to go back and revisit. I highly recommend it. Um, I felt the same way, like season one, uh, amazing. I mean, nothing gets better than Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson in that. <laughs> right. Uh, but season two, I, I really enjoyed it after like watching it all the way through. Um, I think waiting week to week, I was kind of wanting more. Uh, I also expected it to be as good as season one, which I, I don't know if there's ever going to be another TV show that's that good. But yeah, it's highly true. recommend yeah. And uh, I, th- I think in season two, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention. I thought a character like survived a shotgun blast to the chest. And I that's when I was like, eh, I don't know about this. <laughs> but we're here to talk about season four because premiere episode kicks off. And I feel like it's a back to form, true to form episode where it felt more like season one than any of the others, at least for me. I'm not dealing with crazy out there um time jumps right yep and storyline is pretty it's growing but it's pretty tight pretty coherent so different than a normal episode of the average 
we're not going to go through our score. We're not going to break it down piece by piece and talk about the music or the script or whatever. We're going to go scene by scene. We're going to start at the beginning of this episode, talk our way through it, what we think is going on, where we think the season's headed, what we liked, maybe what we didn't. All right. So we're going to try to keep this nice and short. All right. So starting off, this season takes place in Alaska, December 17th. So we're headed into Christmas. A man is hunting caribou during the last day of solstice. As the sun sets, the entire herd of caribou suddenly becomes erratic and leaps off a cliff. He kind of follows down to where that cliff was to see like what the heck happened. And always hear his eyes go wide and scene change. Yeah. Who was that guy? That's what I want to know. That's yes. Yes. <laughs> so same, same. And I also want to like, it's beautiful. I want to know how much of this is real. Um, right. I want to know how much is filmed in Alaska, how much is created. Um, it, it, it takes place in the fictional town of Ennis, which is it seems to me to be based on a real Alaskan city, um, not called Ennis. I couldn't pronounce the name, but only accessible by plane, snow all the time. It seems to be like there are cities like this, and I think that's awesome that we're kind of highlighting that. But Yeah, definitely. I love that so much. It's like I think they were saying it's like 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle, right? So it's yeah. like way out there just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I was looking it up because I was curious about it. And the city, I am going to have to pull it up now. The city in Alaska is very similar to what we have here, where it's kind of a mix of the indigenous natives and scientists. So it, it's pretty cool that they're kind of, while they're not calling it that exact town, um, basing it off of that. Right, just like an implication. So the northernmost city of Alaska is man, I cannot pronounce it because it's in the it's in the native language, which is the same um group of people from this show. It's U T Q I A G V I K. Oh yeah. No shot on pronouncing that either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the city. I, I did a Google Maps of it. It's just pretty pretty cool pretty cool to like walk the streets on google maps and see but anyways so after those caribou jump off the cliff we cut to the salal arctic research station a team of scientists are going about their daily routines we're opening with this guy kind of cooking in the kitchen it almost looks like he's making an instagram video of the event and right over his shoulder you can kind of see one of the other scientists at the station He's having like a standing seizure. He's shaking, convulsing, and it takes a second for the guy we're watching to notice. And then he turns around and he just goes, she's awake. Yeah, what was with that? It, it like kind of gave me um, maybe 28 days later kind of zombie vibes almost when he oh. was shaking, you know? It gave me chills. I loved it. it mm -hmm. And then the lights start flickering in the station. Um, the one thing I noticed, I've, so I think we've both seen this at least twice now. I noticed the she's awake repeating more the yes. second time. It's dropped in throughout. And I just want to know who is she? Who are right. they talking about? Because there's an obvious thread that we're going to get to. I don't think that's her. 
Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to find out who that is for sure. Yeah. So three days later. Is. Yeah. <laughs> we also, is it this scene or is it later? But we kind of see some shadows moving like across doorways. I think it happens a couple times. It's like it's shortly after this when that guy's dropping off the stuff. I think there's supplies. Okay, yes. Yep, that's right. So it's three days later, a delivery man arrives at the station with food. He's knocking on a door. He's trying to get in. No one's there. Uh, but he inspects the area and discovers a severed tongue. So after handling... So then we're going to cut to Callie Reese's character, Evangeline Navarro, mm-hmm. who I love. I did not love her at first, I'll be honest. Um, my opinions totally changed later. Uh, we'll get to that more. Um after handling an assault case at a factory, Alaska State Trooper Evangeline Navarro is recalled to the police station in the town of Ennis, near the research station. So we're kind of skipping. There's this little scene there where she confronts uh, an abusive... Is it husband? Is it boyfriend? I'm not sure they ever say. That's what I was wondering. All we know so far, I think, is that they, they were living together at one point, and then she moved out of the house, and that's why that guy kind of freaked out, and then moved in with her co-worker who uh, right. yep, hit that right. guy with the bucket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of... It's kind of a cool scene to see... Uh, Trooper Navarro's interaction with the locals, but it's also just a little scene that helps build the reality of this city that we're in, this town that we're in, just these interactions with the people, how we immediately feel in this scene that there's a history there, that yeah. these, these people don't just exist in this show, they exist outside of it as well. Yeah, it definitely gives off like small town vibes, very harsh working environments would be my guess yeah uh it looked like a fish something was a was that right um are you talking about the 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 factory that they were in yeah is it some kind of fish related with fishing i wasn't sure i I was thinking that it was like maybe some type of like butcher plant or something but i could i could be off base because she mentioned cutting off her fingers yeah yeah that's right yep so yeah but Trooper Navarro leaves this situation, called back to the police station, uh, where we meet Jodie Foster's character, Liz Danvers. So she is uh, the Ennis City Chief of Police. With There's this history there between Trooper Navarro and Liz Danvers, or Chief Danvers. Um, we don't exactly know what that is, but it kind of... it's. It's a fun, for lack of a better term, tension right away. It's a little bit like, man, what happened between these two? Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of wondering that, too. I was hoping they would dive in a little bit more, but I guess we're just going to have to wait. But there's definitely history there. Yes. And it's just another one of those like attention to detail things to the script that I really appreciate uh, as far as creating this lived in kind of environment and city. And I love that. Um Danvers is at the research station where her colleague, Peter Pryor, actually, I think I'm messing up here. Sorry. I think we meet Danvers first and then they come together. Don't. 
So we see Trooper Navarro deal with the domestic abuse situation. Then we go to Danvers at the research station. That's right. And she's like already there, uh, Trooper Navarro, right? And she just comes out of the hallway. Yes. Yes. That was a fun interaction. Yeah. (laughs) But at the research station, Danvers starts talking to Peter Pryor, played by Finn Bennett. Um, He's a young police officer. He obviously arrived at this at the uh, research station before her, and during this whole scene, we're getting um, "Twist and Shout" from the Beatles playing obnoxiously loud. But it's the scene from Ferris Bueller where he's like dancing in the parade, and there was part of me that thought there might be some kind of significance in that because it was so loud and so prevalent for such a big part of the scene. And I, I could not, could be totally unrelated to anything in the story, but I just immediately was like, I wonder if there are parallels to Ferris Bueller going on in this story. I don't know, somebody, somebody it, saying they're doing one thing, but then, you it know. It definitely wouldn't surprise me. I mean, anything with True Detective, like it all kind of comes together at some point. So there, there's probably Easter eggs all over the place like that. Oh, we're going to get to an Easter egg later. (laughs) Um, Where Danvers asking questions basically about the scene where everybody was at, but she asks one about um, what the station does and where the funding comes from, which I thought were two really good questions. Yeah. And neither one of them got very good answers in this scene. I agree with that. Yeah, I was I was like, more information, please. (laughs) Yeah. The one guy responds when she asks what the station research is, and he responds and says something about the meaning of life or the source of life. Looking for the origin of life. Yes, that's the one. Looking for the origin of life. And I'm like, is that really? Because he kind of sounded on mysticism when he said it. Like, he didn't really believe that's what they were doing. Yeah, because um, they're there like year round, I guess. I think that they were saying that in that scene, too. Like they're just there for years and years and they just live like monks, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Just set up um, almost made me think of the thing. John Carpenter's the thing a little bit. Oh, yeah. Just, just this research group out in the Arctic. So that was a good movie. Yes, I definitely think there's some things that they're touching on here. Um there's a brief kind of might be researching climate, might be researching microbiology. It's never really nailed down. And that's something we might never get an answer to just because. But I feel like we're going to, honestly, I feel like there's. A I mean, it was, it was vague, but, but yeah, it's, it's got to tie in somewhere. Yes. Um, so they're investigating the. The research station where the scientists disappeared and all that was left was a severed tongue, which we mentioned the delivery guy discovered, and the words, we are all dead, written on a dry erase board. Large, Danvers sees it kind of just I think it was that same whiteboard that the scientist was using earlier in the episode, which is kind of interesting, which makes me think that maybe there was like some type of interaction there in that room, but I'm not sure. We'll see. That just gave me chills. Like there's just a little bit more there. Um, 
I'm pausing for a second. Sorry. No worries. Okay. Yeah. So back to Danvers mentions the tongue again, um, but she instructs the young Peter Pryor. His father is also a detective on the force and his father is an interesting character. Um, but she instructs the father, Hank Pryor, to go back and check local corpses for missing tongues. And this, I think, is where we get Trooper Navarro coming in. Yeah. So she wants, because she wants to be involved in the case, even though she was demoted, because the missing tongue is related, she believes, is related to a case she worked years ago. Right. Yeah, that yeah, they they definitely have some type of history for sure. And I really want to know like more about the tongue and why that's there and like I, I don't know. The, the people are missing. Like it's it's just a very weird situation yes, to be it, in, especially it, for for Jody Foster in this who is um uh sorry, Liz Danvers. Yes. Jody Foster's character. Um yeah, so there's that interesting interaction. Danvers is playing it off as like this is not related, the case is not related, you know, you have no part in this, you were demoted. And Trooper Navarro is saying, no, this was the case. Anne Kotok, I think is how they said her name. Anne Kotok. Um, while they're having this interaction, I, uh, they're still at the I, was it the police station that they had this interaction later? I believe so, yeah. I'm, I'm muddy on these things, and I just watched it today. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. I was, I was re-watching some of it earlier. I was like, yeah. I need... I'm definitely going to have to rewatch two again. Um, yeah. Danvers is forced to leave. She gets a call. This is a scene... This is another scene that like keeps giving us... There's a history here. There's a lot going on with these characters that we don't know yet. And honestly, I'm hoping we don't get all the answers. Um, one of the things that really bothers me with modern television, even some older movies, is where like we're setting up all these stories of history of these characters that, you know, uh, Danvers is supposedly 60 in this show, and she has 60 years of history they don't all need to come to a climax with the show. It's okay for me to have some issues left unresolved. And I'm hoping some of these things that we're getting hints of are left kind of like, Hey, their story continues past the conclusion of this mystery. Um, right. But she gets a call really forceful call that from, I think it's from a teacher or a mother, it wasn't clearly explained, but Danvers is forced to leave because her teenage stepdaughter got in trouble for making a sex tape with her girlfriend. So very modern issue. <laughs> um, as she scolds her while driving, there's, there's kind of hints during this argument about that past that I mentioned. There's something between them that it becomes clear right away, like, where's dad? Yeah. I was thinking that in this moment. Um, 
I think she even says something about like dad would understand or you don't have to be dad or something like that in this moment. But then they're distracted by a car crash as a drunk driver drives through an intersection. This is, again, one of those things that it's like, hey, it's small town in Alaska. This is interesting. But it's also one of those like, will this have significance later? I'm not sure. You know, will this play out later? Um, I think it's going to be our reveal into more of Danvers. So after that car crash, she steps out of the car. She's police chief. She steps out to deal with the lady who crashed. She's drunk. She's crying at the wheel. But there's this really cool shot. And I loved it because it was just quick. It was quick, gave us enough to pique our interest, and then moved on. Um, She steps out onto broken glass. And that sound triggers a memory. And we see it's like a half a second shot, maybe less, of her flashing back to another crash. And that's it. That's all we get. Yeah. Um, Another thing about that scene that I really enjoyed, you you (laughs) might be about to get to it, but um, I really enjoyed the neighbor who opened the window and was like, oh, is that blah, blah, blah again? (laughs) Yes. Her name's Stacy Chalmers, but yeah, yeah. Is that Stacy Chalmers? <laughs> yeah, like it's just a known thing. Yep, it's it's just one of those little like small town. Stacy. Yeah, everybody knows who the drunk lady is driving through town. Yeah. Um, this is another just randomly came to me as we're talking about that. Um, it is really hard and it's really cool at the same time to figure out what is happening at night. Because they are in the northern Alaska. And oh my goodness! Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying right now. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt you. No, it's you're good. So good. Part it's of like, the backdrop yeah. of the show is that like it opens with that guy hunting, and it says the final sunset of the year, and it'll be like day four of night when it changes scenes or whatever. And so you're watching this whole time, and I'm like everything's happening at night and then you remember oh yeah no it's night all the time yeah i i love it because it just provides like this new element to the show that like maybe we've seen in other movies or something but this one it's you just can't tell like they could have just eaten breakfast and then something's happening or like this is actually nighttime or is it like really early in the morning you just you don't know yes it's it's great it's super cool. There's uh, like Trooper Navarro. Uh, we'll get to it later, but she, oh, I can talk about it now because <laughs> it's right after this, right after this car crash scene, Trooper Navarro meets with the brother of the girl who was murdered years ago. And she's in right. his house and they're just having this conversation. But she asks for he was like do you want something to drink and she says water and he goes the water's gone bad have a beer or something and it's one of those things where you don't know if it's 7 a.m if it's noon because she reacts really weirdly to the beer but it's this guy could have just been doing night shift yeah who knows it's it's very one of those things that being at night the show kind of throws you off in your understanding of where everything is um but she's talking to the brother of Anne, the girl who was murdered his name's ryan eventually their conversation gets to 
he believes um did he she believes in god but she says that he has left us or something like that it's kind of a chilling line yeah um, it makes you want her to explain a little bit more but she just doesn't really <laughs> yeah it just it's like that's the end of it and the other really cool thing i loved in this scene um occasionally i get on these weird like youtube trips and i watch this guy who toured different parts of the united states and he would go to like the most poverty ridden city or the city with the highest crime or whatever and he would just do like street tours and he would go talk to people and I was like, that's super cool. I might be a little too scared to do that myself in certain places. But one of the places he went was a remote fishing village in Alaska. And one of the things I remember being talked about was how they stockpile goods. That things like monster energy drinks or even uh, toilet paper pop of any kind when it arrives because it has to be flown in when it arrives they will jack up the prices and that stuff sells out day one but supply and demand yes <laughs> and it's all stockpiled and so i noticed in the scene when she's sitting in this very humble home um they have stockpiled cans of pot they have stockpiled cans of beer they have stockpiled cans of beans and it was just another thing that made me like, oh, I love this show already because of the attention to detail. They didn't just say, hey, we're going to do a remote town in Alaska. They said that and then they followed through with what those details are as far as stockpiling goods necessary for life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also liked that house specifically that you're talking about because it's it's almost I think it's like a room more than it is like an apartment yes it looks like a dorm room <laughs> yeah it does like uh like there's probably just not a whole lot of places to live over there that... it made me it made me wonder um he's a miner and it made me wonder if the mining community there lives in apartment dorm type situation oh yeah P probably that's a good idea so that was something I just wanted. Yeah, we just don't know for sure. Um, she ends up leaving pretty quickly after that discussion about God, uh, because she got a call from another police officer. She rushes to the scene, and it is her sister who has barricaded herself inside of a room. Uh, we get a really kind of touching moment. Her sister struggling with these mental health issues she doesn't want to be medicated but she wants help she doesn't trust the doctors but she wants to get better is what i got from the scene that's There's, that's what i got too yeah okay. it sounds like she has like some type of history um with like making these decisions yes or those there actions was, there was a little hint about their mother as well some kind of shared experience that revolved around their mother i can't remember if she said something about like i don't want to be our mother or something I think, like that i think she said i'm not mom okay yep yep but, but um, yeah i hope they go into more detail with that as well yes so then we cut again next cut we cut to rose uh and ingenue 
I can't. I am not quite sure what her name was. Um, played by Fiona Shaw, who we don't know who she is really at this point. She's just an older lady that we see. I think she's washing dishes at this time. And this ghostly image appears outside her window. And it's a man. Like, it's super bizarre because it's just a man standing in the Alaskan snow, wind blowing. He's just got, like, long pajamas on, barefoot. And he's just standing there. Right. I remember this scene now. Um, She's also, like, gutting a wolf, it looked like. Yeah, that's it. She's not in the kitchen. She's gutting a wolf. (laughs) Yeah. That was it. She's preparing food. Um, Yeah, and she's like, what, basically, like, what do you want? And you, like, you just look at this person and you're like, man... Uh, is it is that normal? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a thought I had. I was like, I don't know if this is like just a regular person that's just a part of the town or what's well, going on, but it's weird behavior. She seems almost unfazed by it. Yeah. She's just like Travis. That's his name. It's Travis. And she's just like, hey, Travis. Uh, and you're just like, is this like the town nut or what is going on? But it definitely has that ghostly feeling. Uh we cut from that Danvers puts this is one of the first moments that I wasn't a big fan of Danvers um we meet Peter has Peter has a wife Peter's the young police officer has a wife and a kid we meet that briefly and we get the impression that his work life as a police officer is invading his personal life and this is a moment when you kind of start to question Danvers and if she is the hero of the story or not um or just different got her own demons but she calls peter and says i need you to get the ann kotak files from your father's house who i totally skipped over when they were arresting the drunk driver danvers asked uh the father i need those files and he was like i don't think i have them yeah, he was like really standoffish about it. Like they also have some weird kind of history too. Like he's yes. he's like very aggro. <laughs> and why why is he like she was like no, you took a bunch of files home. I need them. And he's got a bunch of files home when Peter goes in there is rifling through everything. There's a bunch of files there. So why is he denying having this one that it's also kind of like why did he have the files in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that I was willing to brush off as like small town police officers. They might not have had room. And so like it's probably definitely not up to code or legal to just store files at your house. But I don't know in Alaska when you can only get there by plane what the solution is. But that's something I was ready to. Okay, I can turn a blind eye kind of. But his behavior about it makes it very suspicious. Um, I I agree with that 100% for sure. It's, yeah. it's very suspicious. It's kind of like, I understand maybe taking your work home with you, like you're saying, but you're now not wanting to bring it back. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, ex- what's going on? <laughs> Why are you hanging on to that? Um, so Danvers is still, at this point, denying the connection of the case to Anne's, but she's she's very suspicious. So that is why she sends Peter to go get those files. Um, who there's that super tense scene where he's like, oh, dad, I just need to go get this photo out of the room. And 
he's rifling through everything. His dad's in the kitchen. You want a beer or whatever talking. And he, in order to hide the fact that he's stealing these files from his father, he opens the window and drops them outside. And right as he turns around, his father's standing in the door. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, it was uncanny for sure. It was it was great tension. It was fantastic. Um, and we still weren't 100 percent sure that the father didn't see him. Like, was the father letting him get away with this to find it could out? Have just been a really close call, but I don't he, know. Yes, it was right on that line. Um. We then find out that Navarro, I think I mentioned earlier, Navarro was the first person on the scene of Anne's murder. And her tongue was severed, which is why Navarro believes that this case is connected. The weapon was never found. She was stabbed, uh, was it 37 times? Something like that. Like It was 32. 32. Huge number of times. Is that an Easter egg? Oh, man, maybe. Okay. I, I didn't know if you did. If I, you knew I'm not sure. I just, re- I just remember that scene specifically because the way they were describing it, I was like, I can't like unhear this. And it sounds just horrible what happened to that person. Yes. And it seems like from the flashbacks that she was almost found in a shipping container during the rainy season. It just looks like a, a miserable time. Um, Navarro is really upset about it because – I'm not sure she believes it was race related. I think she, in her mind, she knows it was race related. And we as viewers still don't know. Ann Kotak was one of the local indigenous women. Um, and so is Navarro. So we're still trying to discover what's going on. The case was never solved. And I think that's where some of the beef between Danvers and uh, Navarro is. They they have this they have this back and forth about not solving the case because she was indigenous and Danvers says well you were the one on the case so don't blame me right I yeah so that that was an interesting exchange um, it definitely was like like thinking back on it. In that moment when they're just having that exchange in general, just trying to kind of uncover what we're eventually going to find out, I'm assuming. But like they're just kind of dialing it back to like what we were talking about before, just that tension and how it's just kind of building over time right now. Um, Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Yes. So then we cut to later and navarro is it looks like she's leaving um it's not the local liquor store i noticed that on second watch they don't have a liquor store she's walking out with a big case of budweiser and i noticed on the sign it says liquor is like city mandated or state mandated so like oh yeah what was that about i think it was almost like a ration like they were only allowed to take this much so she was going to pick up her portion so kind of what i talked about about stockpiling it was like hey we got a shipment in everybody's allowed two cases or whatever and so that's that's kind of how i took it oh well yeah you were saying that about the guy um the brother of the missing uh woman and he was like 
it's like my last two beers of my ration oh, when you yes. open his fridge. So yeah, that makes sense. I totally forgot about that. So there we go. Um, connection confirmed. Uh, <laughs> the other, I really like this scene. I was really, she hears the guy from the opening, the domestic abuse case. Uh, she hears that guy talking trash to other men about his wife and about her and I was really hoping that she would not get in a physical altercation with him. I was really hoping they would avoid that. And instead she did the, I'm not sure it would be passive aggressive or what, but she poured beer directly in his gas tank. And I, th- <laughs> I think it was, I think it was Bailey's, but yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it was Bailey's. That's right. It was sneaky for sure. I was, yeah. I was thinking that she was going to slash his tires. That's I, yeah, I was kind of thinking that too. I was like, no, not the Baileys, but I was also like, yeah, I kind of like that move. It's very subtle. He's not going to know till later. Like, I liked it. Um, But this is where we meet Eddie Kavik, who runs Kavik's, which is the local bar burger spot. He has a bunch of Huskies outside. I like this guy, honestly. Uh, He just seems like a nice dude who runs a restaurant um yeah, it seems like he makes her would play like magic cards or something yeah like he's, a regular guy <laughs> he seems like a dude i might hang out with and his burgers look pretty good so right. <laughs> um there's some kind of weird relationship between these two they sleep together and we're not sure if it's just a physical relationship because they definitely at least to me they definitely seem to be I hate this word, but they definitely seem to be vibing. Like they definitely seem to be close more than just physically. Yeah. They have some type of relationship. Yes. Like, like not just one night stands or something like it. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, a, um, we get a little bit of conversation that reveals that Navarro's troubled younger sister works for him. And he mentions that, he she asks if she's been acting off lately and he's like no not you know just calling in a couple times whatever and he tries to downplay it but it kind of upsets her a little bit gets to her a little bit but not crazy um but yeah so there's definitely that relationship there um then we flash to danvers who I believe this is the scene you really liked the uh, polar bear. Is this the scene where she's dreaming about the polar bear? Was it a dream? I think it was. Um, oh, no. Navarro's leaving Kavix. Yeah. I think she was driving the SUV and then it's just in the street. And I'm yes. like, man, this place is in the middle of nowhere for real. <laughs> <laughs> this is the wild, wild Alaskan frontier. Yeah, she's just driving down. Yeah, and it has one eye. Polar bear with one eye. And that's kind of creepy. It looks really good. I assume it's a CGI polar bear because they're one of the most dangerous creatures on the planet. But it looks fantastic. It does. Uh, And it's missing one eye. But then we flash to Danvers, who is unable to sleep, and she keeps hearing the voice of a child named Holden who calls her mommy. So we're getting a little bit of a, getting a little bit more of Danvers here that we don't really know what's going on. A child named Holden might also explain why there's some tension with her stepdaughter currently, because we have not met Holden. We don't know who Holden is. 
Um, but both of them at about this point in the episode, Danvers and um, Navarro experience this polar bear with one eye because Navarro sees it in the street and Danvers has Holden's teddy bear, which is a polar bear with one eye. All so right. it's one of those eerie parallels that's going on. It's a very interesting tie in there. Like, I really hope there's some more there. But um, kind of like you said, I mean, maybe a little mystery is, is what we need in the show. Yeah, there's just enough. It's so good because they didn't go like even at this point, there's no murder investigation. There's no like all we know is some guys are missing. But there's all of these other little threads of these people lives that are just like, I want to know more about that. I, I, they made me interested and they made me care about these characters in a very short amount of time. Yeah. It was really impressive for sure. Cause I was kind of questioning that with the new writer of the show, um, because they went in a different direction for season four, but it's, it's been proving to be really, really good. I'm, I'm excited. Yes. Her name is Issa Lopez, I believe. Uh, this is her first writing and directing credit, which is pretty freaking good. Um, I'm, I'll be really curious to see. This is a show the end could make or break it. Yeah. I, I still think so far, uh, if you're still with us, we're two episodes in. After episode two is when I made the decision that we needed to record this. We're going to bring them to you one episode at a time. But after episode two, because it just got better, I was like, we need to talk about this show. Um, so I even if the ending kind of fizzles, I think the beginning is going to be something that I'll, I'll come back to again. Definitely. Yeah. So, it, as long as they don't pull a Game of Thrones or... Mm -hmm the witcher type situation i think we'll i think we'll be in good shape very true very true so this kind of this bear situation prompts danvers to continue her investigation finding the connection from the eight scientists to the missing Anne kotak um we then are we're going to jump to the outskirts of venice where Rose decides she's going to follow Travis. Who is still barefoot in the snow. Yes. And this was a scene that you mentioned you really enjoyed. So. I, yeah, I, I loved this scene that's coming up. Um, I call it the ghost dance. I don't know what else to call it, to be honest. It looked like some type of really, really well done choreographed like a magical experience almost is yeah. interesting there's almost on the production side there's some frame rate stuff going on where his arms look like ghostly trails moving through the air it's really interesting uh, but it's really just a wild kind of out there scene that doesn't make sense yet um i actually think this happens after danvers and peter have the conversation when he brings the files so I think you're right. Yes. So Peter successfully took the Anne files from his father, brought them to Danvers. She's making a meal or cooking something in the kitchen, and they have this good conversation that goes into more of that history of Anne's case. I think that's where we actually learned more about the stabbings and 
So oh, I just thought of another thing because you were just talking about yeah, this scene because this is where he eats at Danvers' house. But yes. when he was at his dad's house, his dad also said something about like my supplies getting low. So I think you're right about the rationing of food. Oh, that's another tie in there. I didn't even notice when I watched it, to be honest. That that's a really really good one that you found. Well, that is also. It's cool that you notice that because I wonder if this is a subtle thing that's going to play into the climax of the show. Oh, like the supplies are just going to run low and then yes. maybe they have to band together or something. Yeah. Even or though like, they all hate each other. Yes. People <laughs> going crazy from hunger. Like, yeah. I don't know, but that's a good that, point. Is, that is just something that could. I mean, the, the opening scene was that guy making a sandwich, too. There's a lot of food in this show. There is. I'm, I'm getting hungry now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they have this conversation. It's really – there's not a whole lot more revealed. It's kind of more about the Ann Kotak case, and this is the moment that Danvers does believe that they're connected. I think she got the DNA results back. I'm not sure. Um, but she is believing that they're connected at this point. And so right. that's when we jump to Rose following the ghostly Travis into the wilderness. We then go to Danvers again, kind of after Peter leaves. She's going into an almost manic investigation mode where she's laying out these photos, looking over the case, all of that. Oh, uh, classic detective. Like, yes. like just, just that scene in general, it's used in like a lot of other TV shows and movies. It's like, you, it's like the thing that you do, like all the information in front of you to start drawing correlations to like the case in your mind. Yes. It was a really cool scene. And one of my favorite Easter eggs is in this scene. Oh, really? Yes. She's laying all these photos out and then we get an overhead shot of her in the midst of these photos and the photos are laid out in a unique spiral shape. And this spiral shape, this is where oh, we're did. going in full, full spoilers, people. That spiral shape is the same spiral shape seen in season one. Yeah. Carcosa. That's, <laughs> that's, that's immediately what I thought. Yep. Yep. It is the same. It is a uh, Colt. Was it Colt? Was that his character? Oh, it was Rust Cole. Rust Cole, yes. Yeah. Rust Cole sees the spiral shape in crows in the sky. It's also on the murder victim's back in season one. And then this is the first time we see it in this season. We pan back, and it's purely accidental. It's for us <laughs> as watchers to see that she has laid these photos out in this unique spiral much like the crows where it's kind of abstract objects making this spiral. And this is where we're kind of nearing the end of the episode. Um, she's seeing this. I think there's, is there another encounter with Navarro where they talk about the case? They do. Yeah. It's uh, back at the science uh, or the, I'm sorry, the science where the scientists are, um, yeah. where they went missing. And I actually referenced this earlier in the pod, but that was when Navarro walks out of the hallway. And then and then Danvers is like, who's out there, you know? Um, yes, that's right. 
But yeah, they end up having a, an interesting interaction because she starts describing the case and who Annie, as she calls her, really is. And she says this one thing that I that I wrote down. Uh, I thought it was just very eerie. Uh, she said it was like broken teeth, broken ribs, and then they cut out her tongue. And I was like, that mm. is just crazy to me. I don't know. Just mm. very hateful. Yes. And sickening. Just. Yeah. There's such a like undercurrents of trying to silence someone, broken teeth, cutting out her tongue, just this person is not allowed to speak. Uh, it's disgusting. But it's at this scene, Peter calls, because this is how I was like, how did Navarro and Danvers end up there together if Navarro is so like demoted? I was a little bit upset at first, but then on rewatch, I was like, oh, they were together when they got this call. I'm going to let it slide. Um, but Danvers and Navarro are kind of having it out about this Ann Kotak case, and they get a call from Peter. And he just says, we got a call. Rose and Janelle called. You got to come see this. And we cut. They land in a helicopter out in the middle of ice. Rose is there, and this is one of those moments that gave me goosebumps. Rose is there, and she greets Trooper Navarro, not Danvers. You catch that? Yeah. She totally ignores Danvers, but says hi to Navarro, which I thought was just another like small town, like, hey, we have the people we like and the people we don't like, and Navarro is one of the ones we like. Um but Navarro yeah, is kind of avoided like the plague almost. Yes. And we'll get in, we'll get into that much more in season or episode two. Um, but Navarro says something about like, how do you find them? And right. Rose says, Travis showed me. Yeah, who's and Travis? At, <laughs> at this point we're all like, okay, Travis is the ghost we're, we're, or we don't know he's a ghost. He's the weird guy standing out in the snow. But Navarro walks a couple of steps back past her. And then Navarro turns around and goes, Rose, Travis is dead. And Rose goes, I know. Yeah, that that was that was the moment. It was it's just turned into like a ghost story, which is so different from the other seasons. Yes. Oh, and it was fantastic. It gave me chills again just talking about it. I love when crime has paranormal elements to it. I think it's fantastic. That's one of the things season 1 maybe not as much paranormal but more like occult-ish. It was kind of like in season one, though, where where Rust was talking to Woody Harrelson after he comes back from Alaska. And he's and it's almost like he he felt like he was haunted by ghosts in a way because he what? came back to finish the case. He's like and he tried to get Marty's help. And he's like, like, Marty, you, you have to help me, basically. And then Marty's like, why would I ever help you if you were drowning? I'd throw you a barbell. And he said, mm -hmm. because you owe a debt. And I just loved that scene so much. Yes. Actually, we're going to get to that. So Rose found something in the ice. It is revealed to be the frozen bodies of the missing scientists. Cut. So back to what you were saying. That's how the episode ends. It finally ends with the bodies that the show started with. And I love that, that we waited all the way till the end. 
I love that this is taking a much more linear approach in its storytelling. Um, but yeah, you, it's not time jumping, as you said. Yes. And while there is connections to past cases, it's not we're not like experiencing that through 10 minute long flashbacks. We get glimpses of it. And the mystery of both is going to be revealed to us at the same time. You mentioned Woody Harrelson. And why can't I get his name? I'm spacing on his name. Oh, right. Marty in the show. Marty, yeah. And Russ Cole. There's strong... One of the things I noticed that I did not notice on seasons two and three, producers for this season. Did you happen to see that? Um, I think it's I think it's them, right? Yes. I know that's vague, them, but uh, them. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Yes, yeah. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are producers on this season, which I did not notice on seasons two or seasons three. Um, between that little production hint and the spiral, there, I'm wondering if we're going to see at least one of them. That would blow my mind. So that's like, we're going to end this last couple of minutes of this talking about what we think is going on from here in the show. There is a part of me that thinks traditionally true detective has been kind of, uh, why I can't think of the word tonight. Um, it's like American horror story where each season is a different case, a different character, different, your completely different right. story. Um, was that anthology series? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah. I, I remember each, yeah, like you were saying, like each American Horror Story season was a little bit different. I know we're not talking about that, but one was easily the best. <laughs> I I am a sucker for 1984 that okay. season because it yep. was the summer camp slasher. I loved it. Um, but after that, I can't tell you anything else. Um but there is there's hints that this might be connected to season one that spiral is not accidental definitely not um i think there's some hints to season one and season two and three as well okay um, they're very very subtle this is definitely way more prominent um but but yeah I, i'm really really excited to see where they're going to go with this because it almost makes me think that like maybe they're just going to wrap this whole thing up or something. I hope not. I love this show. I'd hate for it to end, but at the same time, like all good things come to an end, you know, John yes. Wick, four <laughs> chapters, and then it was over. Yep. I, I actually, I'm with you. I would hate to see this new writer who came in for this season. Who's off to a killer start. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the whole reason why there wasn't, this podcast episode after episode one is because true detective has kind of had an up and down reputation throughout its seasons and no one knew if season four was going to live up to the good reputation or the bad and right now it's living up to the good uh many of the reviews are calling it the best season since season one I mean, uh, it's, it's it's pretty damn good right now. I'll say yeah, that for sure. <laughs> yes. And I try not to go in and like read the exact thoughts of what people are saying. I want to kind of general consensus. Is it worth my time? Yes. Okay. And right now, 
everybody's praising this and i see why i'm loving it i can't wait for the next episode um my wife doesn't normally watch scripted television and she's invested so where do you so think is mine yeah <laughs> uh i mean we're usually she has me watching 90 day fiance that's <laughs> usually our sunday night thing and i watch that with her but i was like hey um we're gonna have to push 90 day fiance back a night because we have true detective on sunday nights right so what what are you thinking what where do you think this season's headed what do you think is going on Oh man, it's it's hard to tell since we're kind of just talking about episode one. Um, everything is so open ended right now. I'm not exactly sure if I could make any like ultimate conclusions, but I do think that the the scene with um, the girl who got hit by that guy in the domestic abuse. I think she's going to come into play in the show somehow. Oh, interesting. Um, I think that's like a very subtle detail because I don't know why they chose them, you know? Um, and they, we had like a, like a very long interaction with them. And I think that they were doing some character building there. So I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. That's a good point. I didn't think about like we encountered him on, I think we encountered both of them on two occasions. I think so, yeah. So that is that is interesting. You would assume that's not an accident. Um, I feel like they chose them to be on the screen for a reason. So yeah, of the like five thousand people in this town, five thousand seems high to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's six hundred or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. I I mean, what do you think is going to happen? So I'm really curious to see how into the fantastic this season goes. So we've already had a ghost, which is kind of new for True Detective territory. Yes. The first season I loved because it was, it was super dark, dealing with like ritualistic murders, almost. It didn't come out and say Satanism. I... um almost kind of like those satanic panic murders of the early nineties. Uh, yeah, they were, they were almost like sacrificial. Yes. Yes. And there was ritualistic drawings and all these things going on. So while it wasn't explicitly paranormal, I always kind of lump cults and mystical. All of that stuff is kind of paranormal when it comes to crime. Um, Cause it's extra normal. It's not, it's not a robbery gone bad. It's out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like in season one, when Russ Cole and, um, and Marty Hart run up to like where they were cooking the meth out in the middle of nowhere, basically. And then he, uh, uh, Marty, he ends up killing that guy. Sorry. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> season but, one is 10 years old at this point. Yeah. So <laughs> if you haven't seen um, it, that's on you. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. He ends up, he ends up killing that guy because, uh, because that guy was like, well, I guess maybe both of them were like raping those kids, you know, but when he's there, he was like, kind of like almost like in a very drugged out weird state. And he starts talking about like the black stars and stuff. Yeah. So like, I, I do think there is like some type of aspect to what you're saying. Um, even if they haven't introduced it until now, that that's, that's what makes me think they might be wrapping up the show, which would be so sad. Yeah. But. I feel like 
we're hitting our stride <laughs> in season so, four. I hope so. Uh, it wouldn't be the first. I mean, to be honest, I'm impressed it came back for season four because the reviews for three were not good. Viewership was down. All of that was down. Um, so I was surprised it came back for four. I think HBO knows the potential that True Detective has. And I, I think so. And HBO will always capitalize on that, which is why yes. I love them as a, just like a company and a streaming service in general. Oh, uh, I like, canceled Netflix and I subscribed to Max. That's, only. that's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, Netflix yep. is it's kind of it's kind of weird these days. It's a thing in the past. Um, <laughs> but so I do think right now my guess is we're going to lean into that paranormal even more this she's awake thing yeah yeah this ghost of uh travis showing up the questionable purpose of the research facility i do think all of those things are going to be related i i don't know if it's going to be like some ancient evil in the area i don't know what exactly but i do think it's not going to be a clear normal resolution i think it's going to be something paranormal something extra normal outside of hey it was a love affair gone bad i don't think that's going to be it i think we're going to go down the route of something paranormal is going on here so that's my predictions for the rest of the season right i um i gotta be honest i almost feel like it's gonna be uh like very paranormal like hints and aspects of like talking about what carcosa actually is because we don't even really get into it in any of the seasons but this time like as you mentioned they're showing us that spiral again so they're definitely giving us more information about that but i do think there's going to be like that true detective aspect that they're they're going to close these cases that excites me i don't me too i mean the the options are open right so it's all open-ended right now so uh, this i think is that what you have to say about episode one that's what I have to say about episode one. Okay. Yep. I think I'm about wrapped up on episode one. We're actually really quickly going to turn around. We're going to have episode two recap for you. The goal here is that we're going to talk about the episode. We're going to talk about what we think is going on. This is our first time doing this on the average podcast. Like I said, it's normally movies. So we might be a little rough around the edges covering a TV show. Um, we definitely went over the time we wanted for you, but that's okay. I had a good time. Um, I did as well. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yes. I'm so glad you could join us. I think you're right now you're planning to be here for every episode, right? That's the plan. Awesome. And then we have some other guests who will be dropping in to talk about the show as well. And I'm looking forward to having you hear them, um, hear their thoughts on it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you too much about who they are just in case scheduling fails. Um, But the plan is to have episode two drop the day or the morning of episode three's release. So you can listen to our episode two recap to get you ready to watch episode three. Same episode three will drop before the official episode four. So our episode three recap will be released before episode four premieres so that you can get caught up 
hear our thoughts. We want to hear your thoughts. So if you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, comment your thoughts. Let us know what's going on. What you think is going on, the average has always been about people's interaction. So we want to hear what's going on and what you think is happening. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. We will see you very shortly with episode two. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And now we return you to our regular scheduled program, In Progress. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.